All right, Peter, I'm in a weird mood today. Um, full of uh, all sorts of emotions, but I was driven this morning to come to you today. It, we are obviously, it's the last week of the year. We are right before New Year's, and uh, Christmas just passes by. I'll lead it off. I'll say this. I lost a good friend this week. Many people did. Marcus Crane, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But I got to kick off the show. And I don't want... I talked to you about this when I got into your house today, Peter. And I'm glad we took a little break before we started recording. Um, I don't want this to become the Effie Update show. I thought about this today. And I was like, man, I don't ever really promote my other things really on here other than like next weekend I'm going to be at this place or at this time. But uh, the wrestling is gay orders. I do have to give an update on, which is... We did very custom embroidery. We did very specific items and designs. And I know this is the same thing you're hearing from everybody right now, but it's taking a second. It is taking a second. They're going to be out the door. The Pacific Northwest has gotten a lot of bad storms. I wanted to support a local company up there in Spokane, Washington, where Priors is, who is my design partner in Christ. And uh, it's taking a second. So it's going to look great. The stuff looks incredible. I am going to do another run of shirts very soon either way. I sometimes hold off and I'm like, if I don't... If I don't ship everything out, I can't put anything else up, which then I thought is absurd because of the amount of different things we have going on. But I did get confirmation, Peter, and I can't say it live yet, of a very special and specific item coming uh, that I had manufactured that if it makes it here in time for Hammerstein will be one of the most legendary moments that's ever happened in that venue since... since uh, uh, since Patti LaBelle brought Mariah Carey out on stage to do It's Got to Be Real in the Hammer scene, live, 97, look the album up, incredible stuff. Uh, if it happens, if it gets done, it is going to be not only fun and affordable and exciting, it will shift uh, the visual landscape of professional wrestling going forward. Yeah. For how long, I don't know, Peter, because I bet we're going to get some confiscations in about three or four months at certain locations. We'll get to it. You, if you think for a second, you'll know what I'm talking about. They're bigger than you think, too, which is incredible. Okay, so we're in. I'm giving the updates. Second update, uh, a day late, a dollar short. If you got a 5 by 7 Effie is fine print. Did you see this art? I did. What's crazy, people are like, oh, it's just a little sketch. Priors did this digital art, and it is the file itself was like 6 megabytes to even upload that little piece of art. So it's printed super, super high def, and then it's also printed on like the heaviest possible cardstock. I want you to treat this like art. I'm going to send it to you like art. It's art. It's beautiful. I'm doing a very classy signature on it, but I got to leave to go to Atlantic City. So they're not shipping out until next week. Sorry. That's the deal. If you're in Atlantic City, though, we'll have some cool stuff, fun stuff. It's New Year's Eve. It's New Year's. Peter, I've been tested four times since uh, I got home from the last match I had, which was from San Diego. I've been tested four times, all negative. I got my PCR test back uh, just this morning. Negative again. We're good to go. Please get tested before you come to AC. If you're feeling anything, please do not come. Please do not come to wrestling shows if you even think you have a cold. And please wear your mask the whole time, even in pictures with me. This is very, I'm very pointed at the top of the show, but like this is, I can't risk getting COVID again. I can't risk doing that. And I need people at the shows to understand that. If, if I've been able to travel, and this is crazy, Peter, and we can get into the depths of what this means. If I've been able to travel two years solid with COVID, happening and never get COVID because I wear my mask all the freaking time. Uh, please honor and respect my commitment to that because I've done very well and I have a beautiful man at home and a beautiful dog. And I don't know if dogs can get COVID, but it would not feel good for Cranberry to wear a mask on her ears. No. Peter, how are you this week before we're getting into some heavy stuff down the line? We'll go into the main function of the show here, but I want to, I'm checking in with my friend here, Peter. I appreciate it. Um, Jupiter is in Pisces. Everything's getting better. Okay, but we did have kind of a hump in the road. There was a weird shift. We got more humps in the road, let's be honest. Um, so Venus is in Capricorn, and it went retrograde a few days ago, and that's why everything has been topsy-turvy. I do want to ask you about the Christmas present I got you. Not that you have to tell people or that. And I really, I didn't get any family member Christmas presents. I got AJ stuff. Like I would say, Hey, this is for Christmas. We're going to a Broadway show. This is part of Christmas. But I, I intentionally, this, this gift reached out to me, uh, spiritually to give to you. Um, tell, tell the folks at home, 
So you got me the reissue of the Salvador Dali tarot deck, yes, which went out of print a long time ago, and they finally put it back together. It's absolutely good. It's one of these like legendary Dali things that no one had really seen until they put this back out again. Yeah, purple so got, velvet. He had the cards all you know handmade for for him specifically, and the book that came with it is beautiful. Yes, yes. And it had the, the thing that's really interesting about the book is it has so much more about the actual art. And that's the thing that really, really, really jumps out at me um, is I, I'm just able to get much more uh, the card. The cards are hot. Like I yeah, get, yeah. I'm firing. Yeah. Really, oh. like I, you typically, uh, when you read tarot cards, it's very difficult to do self readings. Right. And I'm not really having any issues. Like I had, I did a reading the other day. Uh, a specific person came up. Two minutes later, they texted me to hang out. Weirdo stuff. And then I kept going with the reading and our buddy Will's card came up and I hung out with them later that night. Incredible. And it was like, it was the, I was looking for advice and both these people had like little nuggets that I needed for bits of the puzzle to put together. All right. I love this hot deck in the house. Our presenting sponsor this week, Salvador Dali gone, but not forgotten. If you want to melt a clock, if you want to go to another realm, if you want to be a part of a ritual with Alice Cooper, as I am looking at on the wall of your home right now, uh, Salvador Dali is your guy. You can check out all the things Salvador Dali related, uh, on his MySpace or in Tampa at the Dali museum, which I think you see a road show. Is it in St. Pete? Mm -hmm. A little too close to uh, the Clearwater Scientologist for my take, but that's fine. That's not actually our sponsor. I'm just having fun. Do we have a sponsor this week? No, we're, oh, uh, we do not have a sponsor. Yes. I'll still so, shout out Rock and Roll Fables uh, one more time. Bonus time for free, R&R Fables on Twitter. But we are in the search for sponsorships. We are going to start doing two sponsors per show. Please get in. I like to offer deals if you're going to go long-term with us. We are going to get into the actual show portion of this today, but I am in no rush this is our last episode of the year. This has been a super productive year for me in a lot of ways. I hope for you too in growth. Uh, and that goes to everybody, not just you, Peter. You know, uh, And I always say in, in the cameos, uh, not always, but a lot of the times, don't focus on what you didn't do. Focus on what you did do. Focus on the past that were open to you. Uh, we, we're not spiritual gurus here, but you know, I've lived a lot of life at 31. And that's actually... We're going to talk about uh, a bit of the Effie origin story today, as told by me. I've told it on on podcasts before. I've discussed it, obviously, now with Business Insider, which published information about Taylor Gibson doing acid on Business Insider. You know, I, at least the least I can say when I leave professional wrestling, when I'm 90 years old and I have my Dory Funk tour on the way out, uh, it would be a different place without me. There's at least that to say that there has been some impact. And I think doing that independently up until now, it's been a bit of a badge of honor. I do want to say going into 2022, there's only one message out there and it's more money for professional wrestlers. I don't care how you're getting your money. I don't care how you're doing it. Uh, professional wrestling, if it is providing you a way to make a living or a wage, please do it. But also please be safe. I obviously, I have a few cheat codes, Peter, to how I do this now. All right. I'm not, I'm not in a relationship for the insurance, but now it is nice that we get insurance. I still, I pay out the ass because we're in a domestic partnership. We're not legally married, so that's hard. But as a pro wrestler, I think you should have insurance. Uh, it's still expensive. Never tell the hospitals uh, or the paramedics or anyone around you that you were injured because of professional wrestling. Um, and, uh, you know, keep, keep your keep your skills high on other things because a lot of times it is a parabolic scale in wrestling, not parabolic. What's the, what's when it goes up real fast, uh, exponential. It's an exponential, uh, set of times in wrestling and it's better than it has been, but there's a few people making a fuck ton of money and there's a lot of people not making any or paying into the system. So just be careful, be mindful. And it is not for everyone. Not everyone is a superstar and that's hard to hear. Uh, and I think everybody is good and competent and has something to add to wrestling. But, you know, don't kill yourself out here and miss out on other parts of life that may bring you joy. This isn't the end-all, be-all. And I've had so much fun in wrestling. And now, Peter, I'm announcing that I am retired. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> just kidding. I do have, before we get into the origin of Effie, two more things to get into, Peter. I'm talking the head off today. And this is the loosest I've felt coming in here. This is good. I don't have to come in with intention of what my weekend was. We're going to reminisce. I hope you have questions. Oh, and, absolutely. Um, 
Because you've heard parts of it too. I feel like we've gotten into things a little bit, and who knows how far we'll go. But I'm going to start way back. It's sometimes it's hard to pin you down on stuff. Yeah. Um, especially I'm, I'm you, in, you also used to give me more joke answers than anything. You got it. Here's the thing, and we've grown and gotten closer, and we can talk more about this. But you know, it's like you don't ever really know who you're talking to. You got to be careful. And I do have a, a serious problem of oversharing. And I had to stop taking other podcast requests because I had to have like a real come to Jesus where I was like. My mom said it to me and it made me a little sad. She was like, you will share anything with them. She's like, you can't, you can't put up a wall with me and then share anything with these people. And I was like, oh, you're right. Like I'm, I'm talking to these people like they're my therapist or my, or my shrink or whatever it may be when really, you know, I'm an entertainer. They want to know about it. They want to do it. I don't have to give them all my opinions on everything. So I kind of scaled that back, but here, this is, uh, this is us chatting, man. You know, this is, uh. Going over the weekend, processing. I've admitted out loud what this is so we can get into it. But I do, I told a few Marcus stories uh, before Monday Not Raw. We did a full hour of Marcus Crane matches. And we have, I'm going to be careful talking because you got to keep it uh, safe in here politically because he was a wild man. And I mean that in all magic senses. Um, he was a party. He was a, a specific energy. He was hectic. He was chaotic, but he was true to his heart. Uh, he was true to his friends. I saw him he, the first time I ever was like really was featured at all on GCW. This is hilarious. Was Marcus Crane, and I'm going to use his nickname here, the Devil's Big Red Dick, and he loved fucking with people, and he it's fired me up to just keep being even weirder in wrestling. Uh, he wore a shirt during a death match at GCW at the House of Independence in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Shout out Bam Bam Bigelow that said Effie Beach Children. He wore it in the match. It got covered in blood. He took a bunch of pictures with people like Nick Gage, uh, Giancarlo, who was there. And so this, this shirt of Effie Beach Children was everywhere. And I was like, dude, you didn't have to do that. And he was like, I'm going to get yourself over. You're awesome. And you hear the same thing from dudes like Zicky Dice. And you hear the same thing from people all over the scene that like, Marcus was always number one in their corner. Marcus was always the one telling him like, fuck him. He had been, you know, dismissed or, or thrown away by a lot of wrestling promotions because of how fucking wild he is. But he was always a fixture and he was always welcome in any locker room. You know, even if a promotion had an issue with Marcus being as crazy as he was, uh, the locker room had so much love for him that no, no promoter was going to be like, Marcus can't be here. He's not even booked. No one was ever going to do that. Not out of like fear or anything, but it was like, yo, you're going to mess with the, with the vibes in here. Cause that's our boy. And he's hanging out and he's vibing here tonight. And even after the injury and seeing his comeback and like, I think people approach Marcus different after the injury in a really fragile way, which I think in, in times he was very fragile because you have half of your skull missing. He had part of his, uh, brain removed with a tumor, you know, crazy stuff that I was there the day in Nashville when he didn't show up. And that's an even longer story, but like they would approach him a little more fragilely. And I don't think he ever wanted that. And so I just kept treating him like Marcus, treating him like the, the boy he was, you know, he was always, uh, willing to put his foot out for people. He was willing to speak up. He was willing to, uh, cause mayhem. And, and if he believed something would entertain people at a show, even if, he had been warned or told it was too dangerous or told it was too crazy uh, or told that he would be on fire for too long. Uh, he would do it because he was a psycho and he rules. He's the man. Uh, miss Marcus, miss my friend. I'm sure we will all be processing this for a while. I checked in with a lot of people. I don't usually check in with though, which, you know, you hate that that's the connecting power, but like keep that energy in 2022, get your money in 2022 Keep your friends close in 2022. Get your friends paid in 2022. I got a lot of my friends paid in 2021. I got them a lot of opportunity. I don't hold that to anyone, but I think that like that energy pays off people. Being behind your people, putting your people on, giving people opportunity to show out when they may not have had it, that's awesome. Uh, all right, last thing. GCW Rumble this weekend. Obviously, New Year's Eve, SGC, Young, Dumb, and Broke, huge I mean, marquee match. A lot of people don't understand that like, yeah, Jordan Oliver's kind of the breakout star of Young, Dumb, and Broke, but with Charlie Tiger, with Ellis Taylor, those guys work really well as a team. Charlie Tiger has one of the meanest headbutts and spears in the biz. Ellis is a fucking scoundrel in the ring, and I mean that in all positives. So it's SGC, AJ Gray, Matt Justice, and myself, uh, Missing Mancer and Manders there, versus Young, Dumb, and Broke. I hope you'll come out, but obviously New Year's Day. This is what we're leading with as we get into the origin story. 
as I vape. We've got the number one contenders rumble. John Moxley is the GCW world champion right now. He has been away. He's been getting better. He's been getting healthy. We think that's awesome. We have no shade or heat. Uh, it's not Mox fears Effie yet. We don't know that yet, but we do have the opportunity for the number one contenders battle Royal or Royal rumble. I don't know exactly how it's being done. I'm going to make part of my announcement here. I would like to be the first entrant in the rumble not because I have to prove myself entirely, but because like, yo, uh, I can do it. I believe I can do it. I've stepped up to be a top dog of GCW this year. I've gotten distracted by a few uh, big-headed ninnies. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's been a big year. Put me in first. Let me go through everybody. Let me make sure I feel like I earned it. And I will have another set. I have two huge announcements to make at GCW. So I hope if I get out there first, I will have time to let the world know what's going on and fill them in on two huge Effie announcements. We'll get there. This is the first place they're being announced, so you get the exclusive here, Weekend at Effie's. Um, all right, so this is big, Peter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of, I'm going to tell the story from the top as far back as I can remember it with a lot of detail on what makes sense. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. Okay. We have to go all the way back because I grew up in the churches, right? You grew up in the churches. And participation was rewarded in the church. And from an early age, I think even like I would make bets with my mom of like, if I go to VBS this summer, maybe next summer we don't do it. Like, let's do a tradesies. And when she started kind of caging into that, any participation would kind of excite her. And uh, music was one of my first great loves. I love performing. That's the first place I felt the bug of it. And it was playing in the youth group band. Uh, which, you know, you, you know all the chords when you play in the youth group band. And, you know, later in life, knowing other people who played in youth group bands and, like, you're drunk at a party and somebody has a guitar, it's like, let's do some fucking P and dub, praise and worship in the house, baby. And I started playing with bands through that, and I met Christian dudes to play in bands with through that and played in bands through high school where, like, you can tell we are in high school bands because we were all kind of like... Uh, you know, like, what do, you, what do you call it when somebody's like, uh, your nemesis? We were all like nemesis a little bit. We were all like doing the same shit, but we were like kind of nemesis. And you're like, why are we doing? We all spent too much money on on gear and and performing things to be mad at each other. We're on the same bill and we're drawing the same people. Like, what are we doing? Um, but it was good experience to kind of get in those shows and you're going around and you're starting to get a taste of that like baby baby show tour life of like, oh, this is a green room. How incredible. And as I got into college, uh, I was distanced, obviously, from the church as I immediately entered a world of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah-type uh, activity. I mean, the leashes are off once you get there, and you're in a building of, like, you know, 400 college students who are just looking for the same thing as you are. I can remember just, like, people coming in and out, you know, with bloody noses or being crazy or punching walls. It's just like a psychotic time, and you're like, let's jump into this. And so that was where, like, Party Man Taylor began. And this combination of like, I'm going to play in bands and hang out with band people. And when bands are touring, they're going to come to our houses and I'm going to go on small tours with bands. And I'm going to play with bands. It's all centered around that big, like the fucking vibe party. And then you're also in school. So your job is just to like go to class for like 10 hours and you're partying. I'm, I'm not telling anything people don't know. Like this is the college experience, but I don't want to oversell myself, but I also can't undersell it. Your boy was a, like a full on could light a party up. And I mean, shotgun a four loco, go crazy, you know, put a Vivance in your beer. I mean, crazy stuff where what I was finding out was like, I was very good at substance. What a, what a name drop. <laughs> yeah, well, I was... Didn't know a thing or two. To... <laughs> if, you, if you ever get to a chance to meet my father, uh, Billy Gibson, who looks almost entirely like me, but he's about, you know, we'll say he's five six on the air to give him some love, but not quite. Uh He'd say, you shouldn't even be alive right now. I don't know why you keep falling down on your head, but you shouldn't even be alive right now after college. And, I mean, we would gun it to the metal. When bands would come into town and tour, they'd end up hanging out with us. We'd go big time. I've played beer pong with a lot of everyone's emo favorites. Um, but you sort of start to swing into things where it's available, where, like, 
I'm already drunk. I may as well add this tab of ecstasy. I'm already drunk. I may as well do this. And there sort of becomes this like double version of yourself where there's the party one who's like, let's go like to the point where it's like, let's go get in fights. Let's go steal art. Let's go perform. Let's go get in people's faces. And like, I'm a natural like goading type person and poker of things in natural reality. And so when you're drunk and you're out of control of it, you're on other stuff and you're jammed up on, you know, crazy stimulants. It's like, you're, you're geared up and ready to go. That Gemini energy fully comes out. Cause you're like, uh, either you're either bringing the most positive party to everyone around you or you're like, let's go fucking let's cause chaos. Yeah. I'll lead the fucking pack. And that version of yourself that gets built up even more, you're in this college environment, you're doing all this stuff. You're, you don't really have responsibility. You don't have to wake up that early. If you get five things done, you're done. And like magically enough. And because I was very good at doing drugs nonstop and drinking and partying, like I was too good at it. Like, you know, you'd be like, what's up with him? He's like, he's just good at it. Uh, there's no reason I should have gotten out in four years, but I bullshitted through a PR degree in four years. I didn't even really know what PR was other than this sounds pretty easy to get through. But once I kind of figured out what, what the mechanics of it were, and then you start figuring out, you go, wait a second, are the people teaching me kind of unsure? Because I remember the only class really standing out to me was a crisis communications course that I ended up taking two levels of with this dude in a wheelchair who was in, I only say he was in a wheelchair because it was like, you'd come in and he's very like, he's soft, he's in the chair, he's rolling around, he's doing his thing. And then he would go in and be like, here's the biggest, craziest disasters and corporate mishaps and things. And here's how they fucked it up. And here's how they fucked up their response. And we get just right down nitty gritty with stuff. And you're like, wait a second. PR isn't necessarily like, being reactionary to everything that happens and dr drunk ass boy figured, figured out that line too. And at this time I'm like, I'm playing in hip hop groups. I'm doing weird shit. I'm like, I'm kind of playing in hip hop groups, but I'm also kind of like, uh, just confronting people with chaos, like nonstop, like eating American flags and chugging pictures of long Island iced tea and lighting stuff on fire. Just crazy. And as I'm learning from all these PR classes and being in bands and you've got a public image and persona and booking yourself and, and doing, you know, we would book our own parties and stuff because these kids are all good at graphic design and, you know, you'd make things more legendary than they were. And the perception of things is the magic of PR because as, as a PR professional, you don't need to be ready to respond to disaster. You need to be so far ahead of disaster that like you already knew this would come up and you already had a plan to get in front of it. And that, prep that preparation is like it's magic but you've got to understand i'm like i'm a kid i'm an idiot i'm not putting any any of this into real practice other than like i can get bands booked i can get bands a little bit of money i can do some things like that but it's not like being used in any professional capacity i get out of college and here's where we're backtracking again when i turned 16 like right when i turned 16 i started getting paid cash to like work for moving companies working out of warehouses, you hang out at the warehouse, they see if they have work there, you go out on the trucks, it's just truckers paying you cash at the end of the day. I mean, it, crazy money coming in and I do it every summer, you work six, seven days a week, nonstop, but you're like, you're in sick shape, you're good, you know, you get tips all day. I did this all, you know, through college, except for like maybe one summer, and we'll get back to that summer, because that's important too, we can't skip over those things. So I was doing this nonstop when I wasn't in college, and coming out of you know the summer with a lot of money and looking good and being tan and moving all summer and having the people experience of like, hey, let me come into your house, move everything you care personally about into this dirty truck that I have to convince you is not that dirty uh, and then get everything out without a scratch. And if there is a scratch, we're gonna handle it because that's what we do and we gotta keep you calm. Like that's the PR of PRs going into, I counted, I think I've been in like five or 6,000 homes. If you count all the like estimates and the moves and the things and every person and every house is different. So you learn to deal with every single type of person. You learn to deal with every single type of thing. And I went out of college, graduated, got my degree and went back to working at the moving company. Uh, as soon as I hit my birthday in June, like turn 21, here we are. And I turned 21 four times already. I'd had so many fucking fake IDs at that point. The best one I ever got though, I got when I was 18 and it was, he used a real picture of me and they got it shipped off. It was incredible, but I would just pick, pick them up off the ground if I found them and just roll with it. Cause nobody cared. It's a college town. So I get out, I've got this degree. Awesome. A PR degree. What do you, what the, and all the PR jobs are terrible. They're like wedding planners and they're like Ugh. company HR people. And it's just, all of it sounds awful. And all of a sudden, uh, 
the franchise I'd been working for, and I moved over to Two Men in a Truck afterwards to kind of like get away from the sketchiness you didn't, of cash you didn't trucks. Go for uh, college hunks, hauling junk. No, they were a big competitor and a problem later in my life. So, oh, really? Yeah, it's a it's an They're issue. They're too hunky for and, you. Well, and they wouldn't show up on their appointment dates, and so you know that's what you get for relying on 1099 labor. We'll get into the the value of a W two employee here down the line. Um, so. I've got all these things in my brain and I, now I'm just back to working in a moving company. I'm still in my parents' house. Obviously, uh, I'm pretty into substance abuse. So being in your parents' house, not great. And you're kind of like sneaking around at night. They can hear, they know what the house sounds like. It's not, a, we've been in the same house for 10, 15 years, whatever. So we have to go back to the summer. I did not work at the moving company, which is I applied for a, an internship that did not exist where I was like, I want to, uh, I want to intern for Hootie and the Blowfish. And they're like, they're not even active right now. And I was like, uh, well, just email them. And they emailed their manager, Chris, who I hope is still their manager. I think he is. He's been their manager since they got together at the university of South Carolina. Uh, and he was a grumpy man and I loved it. I needed it. He's lived in this entertainment world. He's been around everyone. He's seen everything. Hootie and the Blowfish has sold, I think 30 million records to this date. It might be 25 or so, but I think it keeps growing. A lot of records. And at this time, like Darius is doing a lot of solo stuff. He's kind of in and out. I came in and was like, oh, I'm in a, I'm doing the big entertainment job. And then was like, all right, here's the deal. And I basically had to overhaul all their social media stuff. I had to overhaul all their warehousing and inventory. I had to handle all their merchandising. Uh, one day I set up for a shredder to come and the shredder showed up before I did. And I got a real fucking stern talking to about following through on shit when you're going to set things up. Cause I don't have time to deal with the shredding people. It was fantastic. And I also got to start figuring out like how to really get social media going. And there's some tricks in there, uh, by running a big account like Hootie and the Blowfish's account and keeping things day to day while there's nothing like really active going on. The big thing he showed me though, and it was incredible and it breaks your brain as he says, look in this folder and he's got this old ass folder and it's every major record company you could imagine saying, we don't need this shit. And I mean, same demo they sent to everybody, same demo they ended up getting a deal off of, same demo that most of the songs that you've heard today are on. Everybody had wanted nothing to do with it. They're like, we want nothing to do with this. And they're like, we don't care. And they kept playing bar shows. And then obviously things worked out. I also got to see, uh, the, the power of kind of being a little bit of a diva and earning it when like you've got Darius and NASCAR on the same fucking line. We may have even talked about this before and NASCAR saying, you know, we need you to be here at this time. And he's going, no. And they're going, we need you to wear the sponsor shirt. And he goes, no. And they're like, we need you to do a meet and greet. And he goes, no. And they go, okay, we'll still pay you what we said. See ya. And you're like, wait a second. You know, not that I should go into every situation being a diva, but once you earn it a little bit and they want you there, you kind of got to say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You've, you've given me a platform to do the thing I do, but you obviously want it. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to need a few things and I can't do that. And that's, that's something I've held on to for a long time. So we've mismatched through these weird college years and how else would I go through it? Because my brain is all over the fucking place. I'm still like, I'm, I'm fully succeeding out here. I'm like, I released three mixtapes. I toured with all sorts of bands. I got Can my degree. We- here you know i have an entire mixtape of disney uh sampled songs not like oh here's a disney song i'll rap over it like the samples and shout out to john tommy my original producing partner are you pogo is that what you're telling me am i what pogo the guy that samples disney music is that what he does not as well as john tommy could john tommy's incredible we'll listen to i'm gonna pull up a song after this i think what is also incredible is you can tell how much my voice has changed from just screaming and yelling it was a very uh much lighter voice and uh at this time, you know, you got to bring this up into it. I'm, I'm speaking publicly about heterosexual activity, but I am participating in both. Like I am fully in both. And if you're close to me, you see it, but I'm not making a big deal, but I might dip off the party and you don't know where I went. And there's sort of that double world life where you're like, you wake back up into sobriety and you're like, Oh, this isn't good. And then I think also you have a few experiences in those moments of like, you're hammered, you're drunk, you're a mess that you don't really want to be a part of. And you got to kind of look back on and figure that whole thing out. And so now I'm kind of, I'm, I'm setting you up to where I'm kind of just spit out. Right. And I'm back to where I was. I've got this degree. My parents said I had to get the degree. I've now got a pretty, uh, deep substance issue. My dad, by the way, said after the first semester, he said, uh, 
Hey, I'm not paying for drugs and alcohol anymore. Your allowance is, is done. So that's when I started also selling my plasma for three years, which thank God, great Wi-Fi. I saw every Tyler Perry stage play. I got all my lab assignments done. I got so much schoolwork done at the plasma bank and I got paid well. It was a good time. The plasma bank was triangled. You had the plasma bank, you had Sonic and you had a liquor store right across the street. So, uh, I used to have a class right in this building. You can go right over to sell the blood. You get a slushy. You get a bottle of vodka. By 4 p.m. on a Friday, you're, I mean, to- you're oh toast. Oh, my God. You're like, I mean, you're two gallons of blood less, and you're like, let's get a vodka slush going. It's accessible. It's easy. Uh, Jesus. I'm, I'm spit back out, right? I'm supposed to be an adult. And thank God, at the end of this summer, by August... Uh, the owner of this franchise was like, hey, uh, quick news, bought another one, which that happens a lot with two men in the trucks, and it started happening more with them. No shade to anybody. I'm not revealing company secrets here. But <clears throat> I'm out working, and he says, hey, uh, you've got a bachelor's degree, right? And this is, I hate to say to the youth of America, if you're listening, this is kind of how it works. This is why people join fraternities and also why fraternity brothers are such douches because they had to pay that much money to hang out with douches so they can guarantee jobs. It's a thing. He said, hey, you have a bachelor's degree, right? And I said, yeah. He says, will you move to Florida and run our moving company? And I said, yeah. I said, what's going on down there now? He says, well, we got a guy down there now kind of in charge of stuff. Uh, we need you to go in. You're kind of going to do a number two operations thing. I was like, sick, easy, let's roll in. Now, I am 22, I do not look 22, and I pride myself on that at the time. Now you're going, man, I look 38, and I'm 31. We'll get there. I'm coming in to Tallahassee, Florida, and I have to make a few points about Tallahassee first. Number one, FSU. Almost identical to USC, but bigger. Uh, brick, uh, beautiful brick campus built into the city. Uh, bars everywhere. Drinking everywhere. Drugs Easily accessible, 22, big boy salary. We need you down in Florida. I'm on it. I moved down. Parents are proud. Real boy job. I'm immediately in charge of, I mean, a heavy group of individuals. And I would learn through my seven years of running a two-man-in-a-truck franchise that, like, you got to know when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. There's some wild people out there who can get through the job interview and the drug tests and the in- informational and will uh, threaten your life and cause a lot of issues deep into the night. The amount of moves I had to go out on at one or two in the morning because you just, what do you do? You're, you're stuck. These people's stuff has to get off the truck. These guys sometimes are not of the best quality. They disappear. They get drunk. It, there's crazy things that happen. That's not everyone. There's a great core team that's been there for a long time, but the ins and outs of being a part of this. And then you're 22 and you're like, I was just jumping around on stage eating American flags. And now I've got an old woman yelling at me. I got this guy asking for more hours. I got crisis after crisis of, you know, my, there was a full year of me dealing with a woman who had a, a, my, my whimsical purple Christmas tree. You, they ruined it. The foliage is ruined. And I had to find this exact fucking Christmas tree. People in moving are psychotic, but I, I cannot think of a better place to learn customer service with everyone. All of these things are building together. And we're figuring them out as I'm saying them. So I do this for a while. And I got to be there early. It's not a good job for someone who drinks a lot of alcohol. Uh, I was there 7 a.m. every day, six days a week, for at least the first four years I was there. Because I was second. Well, he was only there for the... Okay, let me think. Steven was there for a year. Now I came in. At least the first four years. Now, after six, seven months of the main guy in charge being there, they're like, he, it was a, it was temporary. We just had to make sure you weren't too crazy. You can have it. You got to take your nose ring out. Lost my nose ring then. Oh, I always thought that you had a nose ring. Yeah. I had two at one point and they looked kind of like the Turkish flag. Uh, but the second one would always come out when I was fucking. So it, you know, when you're drunk and having uh, intercourse and you guys say, stop, we got to find my nose stud. It's not a cool thing to do. You know, much like leaving Bee Gees B-sides on, it's not as romantic as it sounds. Uh, lost the nose ring, took the salary upgrade, making Did tons of money. Did you ever do the hook the other person's nose ring? No, but that's a great idea. I do want to do a match where the loser has to get their nipple pierced live in the ring, and then we do a double pin, and we have to get our nipples pierced to each other and then be a tag team, and then we have to overcome the nipple piercing and rip it out to actually win the matches. It's a lot. It's a long-term story. I don't think it'll work. So I'm, I'm 
in charge of this business. I'm doing this thing. I'm hiring. I'm firing. I'm doing moves. I'm, it's a lot. There's a lot. There's margins. There's profit and loss statements. I'm literally running businesses at million, million. I think I left at about 3 million a year of moving. Uh, and I built it up from, you know, I got there with three or four trucks. We had 12, 13, 14 trucks. We had 30, 40 guys when I left. So it was built up in a magic way and I was really good at it. And, uh, the Gibsons are workaholics. I'm a workaholic. So I would just work and work and work. And then I would get off and I would go to the gym cause that's what you're just supposed to do. And I would, uh, hang out with my two weird roommates and hang out with college people and I would get drunk and I would do drugs and it was easy because when I got to work the next day, I knew what I had to do. I knew what had to happen. I had to, you know, talk to Cheryl again because she's mad because someone stole her necklace, but she found it the next day. I had to deal with, you know, John coming in and he needs more hours, but he needs less hours, but he can't work Tuesdays, but he can't work Thursdays. And when you get in the rhythm of that and just the understanding that you just need to be present for alcoholics, for druggies, that shit is easy to do. So you go out and party. It's a college town. There's a party every night. There's a, a drink deal every night. There's a rager every night. There's a house show every night. I can go see bands that are coming into town. I can go do everything. And all of this is just like rappling. Now, I was still a wrestling fan through most of this. And in college, we would watch wrestling just as an excuse to get wild. During this time, I one night got so fucking stoned off my ass and drove out to an NXT show that was at a middle school in Live Oak, Florida. And still when they had dudes working the doors with the tickets, still when they had dudes, you know, uh, who were supposed to be wrestlers setting up the ring and setting up chairs and stuff, just because it was such a small operation at that point. Um, I went, I watched the whole show. I could not get my car started. Now this is where parts of story, parts of the story people know. Now this is before anything happened. This is when I met white trash Fred. Now I was in the parking lot. I had an Impala at the time. I couldn't crank it. This man kicked the gas tank, gave it a spin, cranked right up. I was like, this is incredible. Now he is like long haired with a goatee, white beat up t-shirt, jean shorts, Came to the show. He says, I'm a wrestler too. I said, oh yeah? He said, I'll sign a picture for you. I said, oh yeah? And I'm going, this motherfucker. Signs a picture of himself, five by seven, great size of photo. Eight by 10 is weird. You can only hang so many eight by 10s on a wall, people. But if you want them, I'll do them. Five by seven, WTF, White Trash Fred, Follow Your Dreams. And I hung on to it for some reason. Let's fast forward. I'm just riffing it. I'm going, I'm doing, it's the middle of summer in Florida. I'm in a moving company that starts every day at 7am. It's so fucking hot by the end of the day. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody's in a bad mood. We're vibing big though. And I am riding the fucking lightning of life down there right outside of the Florida state university. And I had been experimenting a lot with psychedelics since I was probably 18, you know, and not always the best psychedelics. Like when I tell you I did drugs, I did some drugs. And that includes like, let's just eat a pack of Robitussin and see the spiders. Or, you know, you figure out mushrooms are probably a better option. You keep going in. And then uh, a, a friend says, hey, I got some strong acid. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like a challenge. And you get four tabs of this acid and you take them all, right? And it's July might have been June 30th when I actually took the acid. I tripped for a good four days on this acid. And what happened inside this trip, I've partially explained, but I think you will understand it better. And, uh, no. So it was just, it was dosed really high. Well, I got the information on it of like, it was basically double dose. Like, Hey, they look, they look like singles. They're doubles. Right. So it's probably about eight hits of acid. Who knows what it actually, what year was this? 2013. Okay. One month after my 23rd birthday. Because that the from what I know about it, not that I would know anything about it at all, the dosages have gotten weaker in like the past few years to where stuff has been like a fair amount lighter. Yeah. Um, but 2013, you're getting like... <laughs> Insane. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's a little much. Well, okay. So, and I'm thinking, hey, Saturday, do a little acid trip, be back at work Monday, easy stuff, you know, whatever. Um, not what happened. So it starts out pretty great. Uh, and at this time I had two weird roommates and they're great people, I'm sure, but they were weirdo little roommates and they were always listening to like indie math rock and playing, you know, settlers of Catan, great guys, I'm sure weirdo guys, but I'm also weirder than them in the house. I'm like a weird 23 year old manager who tucks his, you know, 
khakis with his polo and then comes home and drinks a bottle of scotch and does pills and shit, you know, like crazy. Uh, so it's not weird to them that I'm tripping on acid. They're not even thinking anything about this. Uh, I go outside and I'm like really feeling my physical body. And I start doing like jump kicks and spin kicks. And I'm also just like chain smoking cigarettes and feeling the vibe of everything. I'm going in. Do you remember that cigarette brand camel with a K? Yeah. It didn't exist for very long. I don't think. They had those camel reds and they looked Russian almost. Yes. I remember smoking a whole pack yes. of those that first day. So I'm still tripping. I'm still tripping. I'm going, this is, this weird. is lasting oh, a little. Weird side note. That was like Rachel and I, when we first met, yeah. we were both smoking those. Very weird. See, it's a weird it's, little uh, sink. And where did they go? Who knows? Nobody knows. Yeah. They're gone. They were just there for a moment. A lot of deals on the packs, though, so that's probably why they Yeah, that's what it... Because I it was just like, it's you would get them for like three bucks yeah, somehow. Yeah, it's crazy. You're just like, what is it? <laughs> Did they pay taxes? They probably didn't. Uh, and this trip continues and gets very visual. It gets very murky. It gets very spinny. And I just keep tripping and keep tripping. And then I make a terrible decision, which is watching television while you're tripping. Crazy idea. It's nuts. Do not do it. There's nothing worth watching except for... Uh, Into the Inferno by Werner Herzog. That's actually, I recommend watching that while you're tripping. Uh, so I'm in this vortex. I'm like, all right, well, I just need to ride this out. I'm pretty good. Like I said, I'm pretty good at drugs. Just need to ride this thing out. And then I watch, and this is no shade to them, and maybe all shade to them. I don't fucking know. I watched the whole first season of the Comedy Bang Bang TV show. Have you ever seen this? Uh, I've never really publicly discussed how this went down. Have you ever seen this? No. Okay. Well, I'm vaguely familiar with, uh, I binged it on acid because time is not a concept and Reggie Watts is the co-host along with, I don't remember the other guy's name, Scotty Pippen probably or something. Uh, and towards the end, uh, in like the, I think the ninth episode, ninth, 10th episode, everything starts like falling apart and it's revealed that like almost everything is green screen in there right? Not good to do while you're on acid. And the whole thing ends with like Reggie Watts crying in a room and there's a weird quote in there. And Reggie Watts was sort of like, he was like a, he was like a siphon. And I had to deal with Reggie Watts for a while because I didn't think he was real. He still may not be. I'm back and forth on everything I'm saying here. Um, but he said, uh, cause it's, it's like, it's like set up as a talk show, but it's pretty absurdist. It's absurdist. But then at the end it like completely melts out and you're basically, it's, it's like more of a slow burn version of the Eric Andre show. Yes. With a and I let it wild. slow burn into me all day. That doesn't, yeah. yeah. Not a good idea. So by this time, I'm in full day two of this trip, and now I'm just watch this, and shit start like reality starts to collapse, where you're like, wait a second. And this is where the like John Cena quote comes in of like, why would I fly this man all over the country and make him do the same fucking thing 300 times a year? The same exact fucking six things and entrance and this. Why would I make mortal flesh get that many miles on their body when... The arenas look the same. The audiences kind of look the same. The announcers kind of look the same. Everything looks the same. And then you start going, all the news shows look the same. You just replace the heads. You just replace the window. You just replace the background. And you're going, wait a second. Oh, God. And there were some weird movies coming out at this time. Like, I remember This is the End coming out. And that really fucked with me afterwards where I was like, ugh. By day three of the trip, I like obviously have to call and be like, I'm not coming to work. Ugh. And I couldn't hold it together. So I was a mess. And they were like, uh, okay, uh, let us know when you're, uh, can talk, you know? And I'm just kind of like off the radar for a minute. And luckily I had family in town that lived in town that I've been hanging out with during this time that were very Christian and still are, I believe in the church doing their thing. And I'm not going to, I have no thoughts on the church right now. But what I will say is, I know they had to give some like, uh, like, you know, the warning before you watch a show, it's like the FBI is If you don't download this, it'll get you. They always had to kind of be like, Hey, uh, my cousin's coming over. He doesn't have a filter and he's nuts and he's not coming to church and he's nice enough. Uh, but just, you know, he'll be gone eventually. I was a lot, uh, and doing what I was doing and show up. Now these kids still party a little bit too, a little booze, you know, nothing crazy, but you find your people in and out of there that you're like, okay, okay. I can see where we can roll with this. And you start hanging out with them a lot. And so I'm like on day three trip and I'm like, I don't really know who else to go to. We got to figure it out with them. And it's sort of that trip where like I'm into consciousness and out of it. And I was like, all right guys, y'all got to listen. And then I give a whole acid spiel of just like, 
here's what the universe actually is, and here's what's fucking, here's what's going on. Here's, uh, and they're like, all right, man, we'll just, you want to lay down? Like, just chill. And I lay down, I sit around, I'm in the dark, I'm still freaking the fuck out. And I'm going, okay, back to the Reggie Watts thing, the thing he said that fucking blew me up was, uh, when death comes, it will not come, uh, it will not come quietly. It will come, it will come with a, uh, will come with such a bang and such a sudden thunder. Uh, and then he says something, and this sounds absurd, but I'm sure we can fact check this. Something about uh, the silencer doesn't silence the noise. It suppresses the flash, which I don't know if that's completely true, but it, it seems like a, a concept that was presented to me at this time. Either way. That is that is true. All right, well. Silence, the movie thing of pew. Yeah, that's not, not a real. thing. You can't, bing, you you can't, can't, bing, you bing can't make a gun quiet. Yeah. It's a fucking gun. It is a gun. Guns are big. Uh, so I'm freaking out. And then obviously at this point, they're like, oh, right. We should do something. They take me to the hospital because I'm just like full on one still. It's oh, like shit. deep. Like we're Tuesday now. And I did this on Saturday. Uh, my mother and father are obviously informed. I'm there. Uh, they give me something to say, just go the fuck to sleep. Go just sleep out. And I get Baker acted, which in Florida, if they believe that you're a threat to anyone or yourself, they can Baker act you, uh, which means they have all rights for 72 hours to lock you up in a hospital, cuff you if they need to, hold you for observation. So I entered the hospital and they said, well, we'll just put, you seem fine. We'll put you in the rehab center. We're still holding you here. So I was in the, you know, inpatient rehab out of there for two days and everybody's there and they're all crying. You're going, okay, ooh, oops. You know, your oopsie brings everybody in and they're all crying and they're doing this. You go, I got to tighten this up. All right. So obviously my brain, you got to be careful talking to some people about the stuff you're still thinking because they'll re-baker act you in Florida if you're like, I'm still having acid thoughts about this. But it was funny enough that like I did submit to a drug test days after for my job and I was negative on everything because I had just sweat for four days of just discomfort. So it's just like horrific. Um, but now I'm sitting here and I'm going, all right, well, I got a lot of extra income that I'm not spending on, uh, Das Drugen anymore. And I got a lot of extra income I'm not spending on booze. Uh, and I've got this itch that says all this shit is fake. And there's, I can't, there's only one way to get through to this shit. Uh, let's go actually wrestle. Let's see what happens. And you know, like, from being a six-year-old and thinking the NWO was really a gang to like being in college and discovering a lot of Japanese wrestling and discovering a lot of weirdo stuff and stuff around the world. You're like, wait a second. Like, where did these people come from? I thought they were all made in a lab. I thought they were like chosen as children to be like, you'll be the potential champion. And in a lot of senses, there's some of that that goes on. But, you know, in my head, I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure out how you do this. If it's even, you know, something that's there, or if there's some like magic glass ceiling where like, and I thought this for a while with music too. And I think this perception gets in a lot of artists heads of, yeah, we are allowed to exist as artists, but there is a certain glass ceiling to where superstardom exists or household notoriety exists or real money exists that you kind of got to play over to the devil or you kind of got to uh, know the right people or you kind of got to sneak in and be chosen on that path versus the workhorses who are just like, we tour a hundred dates a year to seven people like they're valid artists and I'm sure it's easy in their brain to be like, why is Nickelback playing to, you know, 70,000 people and our songs are awesome and we can't, they must've done something to get past that thing. And we can't do that thing to get past the thing. If that makes any sense. So I said, fuck it. I still got this weird little eight by 10. I got nothing to do. Florida is a hotbed for fucking wrestling. Let's go jump in a ring. So I tracked down white trash Fred on Facebook and I'm like, What's up, White Trash Fred? Uh, met you at a show. You said you could train me if I want to be a superstar. Let's, I want to be a superstar. And he said, all right, you got to come out uh, to my parents' house in a field. We'll have a ring in a field. And I was like, this rules already. This is fantastic. And so I continued working. And every weekend, I would drive out to White Trash Fred's field ring in the middle of Florida in the outdoors where it was sometimes a little wet and moldy, where it was 110 degrees, and I fucking started living. I had I had this version of myself that was party tailor. I had this version that was, you know, work serious adult tailor, whatever. And in this weirdness of, and he almost would just start bringing like weird local wrestling, Georgia, Florida people around to be like, just look at this kid. What look at look how fast he's learning things. But I was starting to put everything kind of together and going, wait a second. I 
am very clumsy and kind of goofy and not in the greatest shape of my life, but I do work out a lot. I'm muscled enough and I can move around a bit. I kind of look like I played football. I can jump pretty high. I can take these hits and it feels good to get fucking hit. Like it feels so good because your body is sore. You can feel pain and you are confirming realness because you're like, if this isn't real, it's pretty good simulation. Cause I can feel the fuck out of everything. And I think I got addicted to that feeling of like, okay, well you can run the ropes. You can get hit. It does hurt to fall down. It does hurt to take these bumps. And I'm trying to take in like everything. I'm doing the ghosting, chaining, watching every match, going to White Trash Fred. I did it for, you know, 10 months straight every weekend, going to White Trash Fred's field and going where I could or going to these shows where they were at. And the first time I ever got booked to do anything, I was allowed to ring announce. And I was like, this is perfect because, uh, and I didn't even mention this earlier. I would, I was even doing stand-up comedy in college and would get hammered and kill it. I got second in some contest one time and the dude was like, you almost have too many jokes in there. And I was like, I know, but it's five minutes. And he was just like, you know, simplify it, kid. And I was like, oh, that works for wrestling too. I can public speak like a motherfucker. Let's do this. I kill it. It's great. He won't book me to wrestle because he doesn't think White Trash Fred actually trained me to do anything. Won't book me to wrestle. I end up getting uh, kind of some weird, dumb shows that get me some other weird, dumb shows. And... White Trash Fred helped me on a lot of these and getting a lot of these, but I did hit a point where I was like, okay, I got to get out and find some people who can teach me some other stuff too and do this. And I'm still working this job. I'm still doing this. At the time when I got sobered up, that is the time I finally like came clean to my parents. I was like, yo, I like a lot of different things. And I didn't know exactly how to explain it to them. And I think they took it rough at first, but they kind of also you know, followed the confidence that I had and was starting to find again without booze or without the drugs. Uh, to say like, Hey, we should probably be on his team. Cause he's pretty fun to hang out with pretty cool dude. And I kind of gave them that same harshness of like, I can't, I can't change who I am anymore. I can't pretend anymore. You're either on the ride with me or you're not. And now here I am out here getting beat up all the time, trying to do this for no money. And I'm driving, you know, 10 hours round trip for these shows where no one cares anything about me, but I did it all as Effie. And that's, what's a little crazy. I think because from day one, I was like, I'm approaching this with all the, with all the brain I have so far, like all of this skill that I have that I've tried to segment and be like, okay, well, band thing was this thing. And you know, Hootie is this thing and school is this thing and work is this. It was all one thing now. And there wasn't any separation anymore. And I was like, if I approach this business, like a business, it's the only way I'm going to be able to poke the top of that glass ceiling to see like what is possible here and like what's even accessible. And so as I started getting out in the world, not only am I like approaching this with a little bit of a budget because I'm working my ass off all the time to buy the gear, pay for the gas or take a booking for $25 or whatever it may be. Uh, I'm also uh, getting out and visually seeing for myself that like, Hey, this isn't, this is some secret brotherhood, this wrestling world, but also most of these people are not that smart. And I have more skills to understand these shows than they do. And I understand people and I understand perception and I understand branding and I understand story and I understand the hero's journey. Shout out to our previous episode, Joseph Campbell. And I can play into all this in a magical way. Oh, and also you're in the deep South Bible belt. You can scream at all the people that you used to have to be quiet around. You can scream at all the people that have these opinions against you. And this is the best therapy you could imagine because all those times you're drinking away, you know, gay boy, black sheep, what are you doing? Why are you even in college? All that time you you could have been out here permeating the world with a little uh, mirrored hate. And I think now one thing I like to remind people of is like, there was this time of like unfettered wild rage that worked in my favor of kind of just snapping at everything and everyone. And, uh, I would, you know, appear well in the locker rooms and be good. But you know, when I was out there being a gay piece of shit, like I would say, uh, there was a beauty to this chaos and this crazy and this everyone's against you kind of energy that now, like, now that you can take that rage and specifically target it and put it in specific places and put it into the right avenues, it's like the most unconquerable shit ever. Not that you come in with a sense of rage, but anytime you have that, like, why are they doing that? Or what is this? Or why are they not into what I'm doing? Turning that into, into productivity is like, it's the key to like me existing. I'm pretty sure because yo, that 
there's a rage in you, whatever you're doing, you know, to cover that up, it can only work so long and you've got to get it out in some way. But if it's just coming out and it's not helping you in a productive way, it's probably just actually helping you in a negative way because it'll push people away. It will push the wrong people away. But if you know who your targets are and you know what you're after, you've got a better chance. Now this is, I made my debut in a paid wrestling match in August of 2014. It is now, December of 2021. So we're coming in on, uh, what is it? I can't even do math. Is it seven years? Uh, yeah. Seven and a half ish of actual paid work. And then, you know, going a year prior to actually beginning the training, it took a long time to get to these things, but you start kind of gaining this reputation. And the thing I loved was seeing people who disagreed with who I was actually, or people who didn't like my character per se, seeing that if they brought me in, it would produce results and it would sell tickets and it would bring things in and kind of having to see people eat their own boot in a world where they're like, this is what works in wrestling. These are the things that work. This is the path you go on. These are the steps you take. And I'm going like, I got to skip a few steps because I don't really have the time and I got to know some stuff. And choosing the lanes to participate in was, was always going to be a risk. But as I had this goal of let's see if the top even exists I sort of started peeling back this version where you go well what even is the top and what even is success here obviously there's a a financial measure but I'm looking around and going there's a lot of people making money here they're not the people in the ring I'm counting the people at the door I'm counting the streams I'm counting stuff and I'm going this could go differently and also I'm seeing these guys who they come into this it's you know everybody's gimmick for the first four years is that it's their dream. This is my dream. That's your gimmick for like four years till you realize that's not a gimmick. And that's something you bring to a therapist. You know, when you look at performing as performing and not like I'm working through something, I say this as someone who said, I just worked through things. But when you have that channeling to, Hey, you know, whatever I'm thinking, whatever I'm going through, whatever my personal is, it may have helped me at this time, or it may have been good for this situation, or it may have given me a spark to start fucking shit up. But if I come and, and approach this as a performer and give the people what they're looking for and I don't go, oh, I can't believe they want to see me do that move tonight or I can't believe they want to see that goofy version of me when I'm feeling so dark and down. I do come in emotionally to every match. I read every room. I read every place. That comes with experience, but also it comes with going, hey, Effie is Effie and they came to see Effie, but they've got to see Effie here and I've got to play to the Effie that exists in this room instead of saying like, this is who I am today. I'm not doing that. I'm trying a whole new Lucha moveset that I've never practiced. We're like, you get a lot of that with guys where they're like, I got a chance. I got an opportunity. I better change everything and not do anything I, I usually do. And learning that comfort and learning the way you move in, you become very comfortable in yourself. And I think it has taken me a very long time. And we obviously, there's more to this story that goes forward, but Seeing all of these things that you fight to keep separate for so long, working in your favor, there, there's magic in that public relations there because the, the version of myself that now relates to the public is a version that's dealt with all sorts of people that have hated me, people that have liked me, people that have had uh, correct and incorrect opinions on me. And I've been able to traverse and mold through this while maintaining my wholeness and maintaining who I am. And I think that there's a future in wrestling that I'm opening that wasn't the original goal. That wasn't at all the original goal where I'm still poking at the glass. You know, I'm sitting here going, what's next? What's next? Where I'm not even acknowledging as much of the historical context of what I've already been able to do. But like looking into the next year, as we reflect here, uh, the doors are wide open. It's a a magic train. There is no glass ceiling. I can confirm uh, as far as I have found and maybe there is, but it's not a very good glass ceiling anymore because the ratings are down everywhere and uh, paydays are not what they used to be. Those pay-per-view bonuses are out the door. So, you know, maybe shifting what the ceiling even means or shifting what the idea of success is is really going to be the end goal here. But I think as long as I am enjoying myself and having fun and uh, finding the joy in this that so many people can't, then I will continue and the legend will continue. What do you think, Peter? of God <laughs> flabbergasted, right? Yeah. I haven't told it in long form in that much. And there's probably, you know, way more to tell too. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I've seen some things, seen a lot of things during the time. I think I was at two minute truck and this is bad because it's, you know, turnover. We had terrible turnover in Tallahassee, Florida for a variety of reasons, but I think I had seven years. I had well over 500 employees in and out of that door. But I did also have like a core group of guys that like were there the entire time, which is nuts. 
uh, left it though. Dipped. Took me, it took, I mean, it took six, you know, five and a half, six years of wrestling on the road while working to get to there. And also I did it at the dumbest time possible. You know, oh, hey, I'm quitting, I'm quitting this uh, job with a salary and health benefits and 5% ownership stake. All right, cool, man. Well, there's a pandemic. <laughs> Love it. That's when I came to Atlanta, Peter. That's when I met you in Atlanta. What was the uh, deciding factor to move to Atlanta? Well, in 2016, I got together with AJ, and he moved immediately to Florida. Made a huge jump to move down here. Got a job down here, and I'm gone all the time, right? And we had a we have a decent system going that's so much better now, and we'll get to why. Where you know, I'm out every weekend. I'm traveling. I'm doing this. I'm going to the airport all the time, or I'm driving out, or I'm driving to shows, and he's at home and it's Tallahassee. And so like the options are like, go to the drunk college bar or like go to the one gay bar where there's like clearly a meth problem. And he's saying to me, Hey, love you. Love your dreams. Want to support you. Also, you can't keep working 60 hours a week and then wrestling two to three dates a weekend and having time to live a real life and not going crazy. Oh, and also I'm not staying in Tallahassee. This is nuts. I've been here, you know, three, four years, whatever it was four, I guess. Yeah. Four years. And he's saying, you promised me we would not stay here forever and you better take a freaking leap. And I was like, shit, all right, well, we're leaping. Uh, he could work remote at that point, which is fantastic. And me, I'm going, well, at least I don't have to drive two hours to Jacksonville, three hours to Orlando to commute anymore. So worst case, I'm not spending as much on gas out of my own pocket to wrestle. And then there was no wrestling. So, you know, what I did find out leaving my main job and leaving that comfort and security of like, when that much money drops into your direct, you know, direct deposit every two weeks, it's like, you're kind of untouchable. Cause you can, you, I, I did better because I had that in, in the back of my mind that was like, you can fuck up completely. You know, obviously like you could fuck up and not sell a single shirt and you won't die. And there is a boldness to that, but like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh yeah, it was, it was a, a magic train. Like I had to bust my ass to even get any of that money. It's magic money. But looking at it and walking away from the amount you're going, what am I going to do? Turns out when you put your focus on yourself and you should sometimes be a little selfish. I used to argue with my parents about the benefits of selfishness. Um, it is good to be selfish. Sometimes it is good to not be selfish sometimes, but when you, when you are selfish, you find out that when you're putting your time, uh, towards yourself and you're putting your hustle towards yourself and you're putting 50 to 60 extra hours a week towards yourself, not only are you a healthier, better person, but you also can get a lot more done that positively affects just you. You think about working for a business and it's great and they pay you and it's awesome, but your chunk of the pie is not, you know, what your worth to the business actually would be. So when you do it on yourself, yeah, there's huge risks on that, but also you got to be ready to do every part of the business. And I was ready to do every part of the business. I was ready to handle the bookings. I was ready to handle the pricing. I was ready to handle the merchandising. I was ready to go on all of that. And I knew it was an undertaking and like, Guys now that are like, oh man, I just want to be a wrestler. I'm like, dude, you're in the wrong business because you can't, you can't anymore. You have to be so many things. And if you are not, you're going to get eaten alive or you're going to get chewed up or you're never going to make a dollar. It's, you've got to be in charge of your shit and you've got to be two versions of yourself at the same time coexisting as whole, which is y'all are talking to Taylor. If you're backstage, you can call me after you can call me whatever you want. And if I need some water, some beverages, some chairs, a towel, uh, a first aid kit, these things need to come to me immediately when I'm out and I'm effy with the people. It's like, you're not, you don't get that if you're paying me and I'm your employee, I'll be very nice. I'm very kind and sweet, but we have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our business. We have to make sure that we're holding the line on the standard there. You know, weird. I'm ready. We're going to, we're going to hone that in, but that baby, that's going to inspire a lot of corporate parties. What was that look? What was that look? The, me having flashbacks to earlier and yeah. <laughs> recognizing what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the snake eating its own tail when the, uh, when the corporations you left pay you to fire up their staff. Six figures, darling. <laughs> going to be fun. Uh, we don't have any questions this week, do we, Peter? Oh, we do not. It's a Christmas week. It's a Christmas Everyone's spending time with their family. I think it's beautiful, but I do think it's good that we get this episode out. I think it's fun. Uh, and it, Oh, this was amazing. I'm going to be digging back through this and it was, it was, eh. hell yeah. 
The timing of it was auspicious. There's a, what, don't say that. Uh, no, because I'm that, and I felt that like part of the reason, because you just like, like I, so I broke up with my fiance of six years, moved in this apartment, pandemic happens, and then you just appear in the basement literally below me <laughs> and uh it just felt that the it felt that you were reflecting all this stuff back at me because i've had this project forever that like i just for whatever reason i've stopped myself from taking seriously and then all of a sudden it's there's this human that just comes in that like took a major bet on himself and it's just flying forward with that momentum and everything. I'll take a bet, baby. Um, and then I like, I just quit my job and I'm going full forward and do something completely different. And let's do it. It's that's amazing. So this feels the the timing feels right. It's good timing. I think we're going to see a lot of growth with the podcast in the next year. I think it will be an important tool mentally uh, to keep my brain sane. As I, as I look forward into the next year and I think of how many like weird, strange turns this year took, like already knowing the confirmed things, you're like, this is going to be a mess and bananas and who's ready. 136 flights as of tomorrow. I will end my year on 136 flights total. Crazy. Goodness. I didn't think it was possible, but it is, it is possible to live as an independent wrestler in the year 2021 and make good money doing it. It takes all of your heart. It takes all the goddamn time in the world. Uh, and it takes a lot of different avenues to make that cake. But it's possible. Damn. All right. Well, if you want to talk to us about sponsoring the podcast. Please. Weekendeffies at gmail.com. And if you want to ask a, a Effie a Taylor or, oh, goodness, my brain did something no, funny. That's good. There. If you want to ask a question about anything, also weekendeffies at gmail.com. Yeah, really, anything. Ask away. Please let us know. And uh, remember uh, to stay hydrated. We have big things coming.